You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Welcome to the party. Martin Luther brought the gasoline and the match and the dry straw. You're listening to Cornfield Theology. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here, pastor of Redemption Hill Church. Redemption Hill Church. Located where? The Des Moines Metro. Des Moines Metro. Uh, glad that you're listening. Hopefully you've enjoyed our content at cornfieldtheology.com. You can visit our church website at redemptionhilldsm.org. Uh, we're a local church uh, meeting in the metro here at Schuler Elementary, located in Clive. Across the street from Urbandale, a minute from Waukee, another minute from uh, Grimes. And, and uh, in the Waukee School District. <laughs> Like I keep saying, the the boundary lines in this city are like a drunk guy with a crayon at an Irish bar. You know, it's like, I don't know. Hey, I'm Irish, and I don't take offense to that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, to my left is Logan Kane, pastoral intern of Redemption Church. To my right, faithful member of Redemption Church, Dean Klein. Uh, Dean, how long have you been a member? Four years? Um, Seems like it. We're coming up on five years of the church existence. If if it's been here for five years, we kind of probably came in at at the end of the first year. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Man, it's been a ride. I mean, sure, and we'll get into Martin Luther, our part two podcast, but if I could just settle for a moment and be like, we're coming up on five years of church planning. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are now folks in our church who are like, well, church planning, what? We're, we're a local church. And that's kind <laughs> yeah, of fun. That's true. It's kind of fun to hear. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Church planting. I thought church planted. Church know. planted. And, and uh, while we've met in, I don't know, 13 different locations over the course of this time, I think COVID was a big reason for. Yep. Much of that. Um, God has been gracious to us, and I thank God. I, you know, people ask me, are you going to go anywhere? I get that a lot. I'm like, nope. Uh, I am with the people that I, far as far as I can tell, I'm with the people that God wants me to be with and pastor, and I, there's nowhere else I'd rather be uh, than here. So I praise God. Uh, what do we want to talk about today? Any cultural issues? Let's do... Uh, Let's do let's do three predictions over the next month, right? These are our cultural predictions over the next month. So three big predictions. All right. Do you want me to go first? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's my. I would do a political prediction. I was never given the gift of pl- prophecy. Go ahead. Here's my big big prediction that probably won't come true. It's politics. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I'll do two. Number one. Uh, Robert. Kennedy Jr., right? Yes, he's a Democrat. Democrat. He will continue to rise in the polls as the Democrats search like crazy for an alternative not only to Kennedy, but Joe Biden. So in the next month, we'll see that played out. And if they don't find an alternative, your Pete Buttigieg or Kamala Harris, whatever, um, Newsom, um, um, Communist Governor Newsom in, in, uh, in California, uh, Comrade Newsom. Sorry, my bad. If he doesn't jump in, there'll be you know he'll continue to rise in the poll. And on the Republican side, I don't know. God, Trump will continue to rise in the polls. Maybe DeSantis rises, but he's been flailing a little bit. I don't know. I don't know how to predict that one. That's less uncertain to me. The Vicks. Uh, Vivek has been rising in the polls on the Republican side, but I don't think that's sustainable. 
I had to predict, I had to like, yeah, you got to predict something. I'd be say DeSantis rises in the polls and becomes a credible alternative to Donald Trump in the Republican side. There's only one candidate in the Republicans that can beat Trump, and it's DeSantis. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And uh, he and he has been significantly running to the right of Trump on the issues, and, and, and he has Trump's to. been punching to the from the left. I'm just yes, like, and that's the only chance DeSantis uh-huh. has. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you got anything you want to predict uh, that might happen in the next month, like aliens descending upon your place, your place of residence, or I can go. What off. is your stance on the UFOs? Uh, <laughs> uh, that they're unidentified. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, because you're putting me on the spot like this and trying to predict the future, I'm going to go off the rails. I'm going to predict that the people will realize that there's actually only one party to this uh, tyrannical state and realize we need to throw them all out. Wow. Yeah. I, I ain't pushing back. So what party do you identify all. with? Uh, neither. I think they're both correct. No, but I mean, what party are, do you, who would you vote for if you had to vote? I'm choosing not to vote, probably. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't like the government, so I'm like, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. they're all bad. We, you're we you're a revolutionary podcast. like Martin Luther. There you go. <laughs> well, if we did a podcast <laughs> on politics. Put me back in 1776. <laughs> we would manage to insult everyone. Probably. Because of our varying views on government. And uh, in, in private, you know, we have lots of fun conversations. And You yeah. put me on the spot, man. I can't think of the future. I All barely right. pay attention to the news. All right. I don't pay attention to the news. I'm not really on Twitter or social media, and I've never been happier. Yeah. That's great, man. Uh, then why do you keep sending me TikTok videos? Uh, because I, I send you funny TikTok videos. Well, I, I don't open them. I, I refuse to allow the Chinese government to spy on my phone. Well, joke's on you. They probably already are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do you anything you want to predict? Well, um, yeah, that's a, that's you, you put us on the spot there. I I do think this is a short term prediction that I do think the Iowa legislature mm. will pass a a heartbeat bill in in in, in yeah, the advancement of the pro life cause. Uh, the governor has uh, called a special session, and uh, because uh, we had a 3-3 tie in the Iowa Supreme Court, which I thought was rather cowardly, to be honest with you, yeah. but um, but that's it is what it is, and so you do it through the legislative branch, and I think they have the votes there to get that done. I think they do, too. What's the current Iowa position on abortion? Doesn't it go up to, what, three months? Yeah, and I think they want to get it down to six weeks. Six maybe. weeks. Which some could argue this is a, a different topic for another day, but I'll just simply say this: there's a, there's an ongoing debate debate within the pro life movement about how to best move forward on this. Do you move forward in defending the rights of unborn babies incrementally, meaning like instead of going for the six week, which is you know probably the tightest of all the all the legislation, you do like 15 weeks and you get that because you can get more people to support that. And then down the road, you go to the six-week. It depends on what state you're in, I yeah, guess, it does with, the, with the political makeup. I tend to think, because what has worked for the pro-death movement? Incrementalism. It Absolutely. That's why. So that's why I would say probably incrementalism. So as someone who's staunchly pro-life, just like you guys are, like I am staunchly pro-life, period. I think abortion is, is murder. Uh, there's, there, there's something to the politics of it all. you mm-hmm. got to think through. Um and to Logan's point, the pro-death movement has done things incrementally and Absolutely, done it with success. Yeah. And I just wonder if the pro-life movement needs to adopt a different strategy. Because what they, what happened in Kansas, mm. they had the, uh, as soon as Roe versus Wade was overturned, they had a snapback law, and I think it what was six weeks, it went on to the ballot, 
mm. and the people voted it down because they weren't ready for it. You're yeah. talking about Kansas? Kansas, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And Kansas. And so they, they just weren't ready for it. And so the, I, I'm not get maybe I'm wrong, but incrementalism might not be the worst thing in the world when you think about a long-term solution you know, to a really horrific issue. Sure. So, I think we would all agree that if we could, we would just eradicate the 1, ability to do abortion at all. But 1,000%. Well, we're here to talk about Martin Luther. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. I, I teased in my intro that Martin, Martin Luther's the guy. You're having the party. He comes in. He's like, hey, guys, I got the, <laughs> he's got the gas can. <laughs> like, what are you doing with the gas can, Martin? And you see in his left hand, he's got matches. And you're like, what do you need the matches for, Martin? And you realize on his backpack, it's full of, like, dry straw. And you're like, hey, guy. Um, why are you here? We're gonna start a, a fire. It's <laughs> always so burning since the world's been turning. Thanks, Billy Joel. So, where do we leave off, Dean? Well, I think we can. Let's get back to his um, his um, time as a university professor, as he's uh, teaching through the he's teaching through the Psalms, like in fifteen thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book of Romans, uh, 15, 14 through 15, 15. And I, I think that we were, we were discussing, speaking of fires, I, and I, I digress here. Uh, we will get to it later, but uh, there was a, a bond, bonfire. And some would argue that not the 95 Thesis that kicked off the Reformation, but this actual bonfire in which Luther does burn some books, yeah, and we'll get into that later. So, uh, leading up to the Reformation, here's another uh, thing I want to point out, and um, we we tend to think of the Reformation where it's like Martin Luther, you know, puts the 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg Chapel door, and that was the moment where he brought the straw, the match, and the gas, right? Yeah. And there's something to be said for that. However, I want to amend it. Up until this time in Europe, there have been many, many. Many, many reformations going on. Oh, absolutely. So Huguenot France, for example, mm. would be an example. Um, uh, Sandovali in Italy was preaching the gospel. You have a man like John Huss, mm-hmm. right, who's, who's taken the gospel. See the one that was burned and said, today you burn a goose, but in 100 years there will be a swan. That sounds, that, sounds, that sounds like Huss. Yeah. yeah. You have John Wycliffe prior to him, right? Um, we, we have the, the louder, louder movement. In England, sure, um, going on. So, so the picture in my mind leading up to Luther bringing the straw, the match, and the gasoline to the Wittenberg Chapel door are a bunch of boiling pots all throughout, specifically Western Europe. Yeah, mix those metaphors. And and these boiling pots are just getting hotter and hotter and oh, yeah. hotter. And it took the right man at the right moment saying the right thing. <laughs> For the, all these pots to kind of boil over in, in mm. places like Switzerland as well, which became a haven for um, solid theology and for Protestantism, right? Especially mm. Geneva, and and that's and that's a better way to think about le- what's going on leading up to Martin Luther, because he's not a one man gig, mm-hmm. right? There were many others doing faithful things because they're simply reading the Bible, right? So, so to sort of connect this with our previous podcast, yeah. So you have all these tiny reformations that are happening. You have Luther teaching at the University of, of Wittenberg. Wittenberg. Wittenberg mm-hmm. yeah. um, and there's this issue of indulgences that he's you know coming on. Good. Yeah. That's what we were talking about last time. The indulgences of paying for other people to get out of purgatory. Um, 
and that's really what drives him to bring those matches and and straw yeah plus uh, i think the scriptures drive him you know he oh, sure. studies in the scriptures is starting to show him things that he's never seen before i mean no wonder considering he's covering psalms romans and galatians <laughs> it's it's a it's a recipe for gospel light right gospel hope yeah um but you know luther speaking of what you just said there mm-hmm. uh, he he would say in 1522 this is after he's excommunicated from the church um that he was utterly clumsy and incapable in the conduct of such high matters as this movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says, I became embroiled in them by accident and not because I wanted to or intended to. But again, we see the providence and the hand of God on this this very simple son of a peasant, as he would describe himself. And... um, and God would use him to set you know, Western civilization on fire. Yeah. Um, as far as the, um, where do you want to head from here? Well, I, I think he's excommunicated, right? Well, let's let's go back to the 95 Theses. Yep. Um, yeah, we've mentioned them. We've mentioned them. Uh, you want to talk about the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg doors? I mean, yeah. so, I mean, like I said, my knowledge of Luther is a little bit less, but the 95 Theses is basically just these different theses against the Catholic Church specifically and there's some good stuff in there but it may it it's not as it's not a mature reflection that we get later on the idea of justification by faith this is this is like luther on fire Uh, this is he's he's angry well here's the deal with the 95 thesis is composed to luther later uh what luther wrote later specifically in the areas of justification the catholic church would have been like i don't agree with you Eh. this was like if i could be just crass for a moment given the catholic 95 thesis that is given the catholic church the middle finger yeah it's like you know what I'm in the back alley and I'm ready for a brawl. And in, and in this sense, in light of what I just said about all these boiling pots throughout, you, uh, throughout Europe that are just getting you know hotter and hotter and hotter, Luther is like, you know what? I'm just I'm just gonna I'm I'm bringing the lumber and I'm taking you back to the. Someone woodshed. would suggest he has megalomania. It's right, like... <laughs> right. And and we don't know. We talked about that in the last episode. You know, psychological and emotional things going on with Luther, but he's taking the Catholic Church to the woodshed. You know. He, He's like, this is a rock fight, and we're in a phone booth. Let's get to it. And that there's a courage to that. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is a courage. If there's anything we can learn from Luther at this particular moment in time, there is a courage to stand up and do what is right against what was probably the most powerful system throughout. I don't know, maybe the world be an overstatement in light of everything that's going on throughout the well, world, but sta- definitely in Western civilization. Yeah, he's literally, as a lone individual, standing up against all authority. I mean, it's... But, but for Luther at that time, he isn't thinking, like, this is going to get back to Rome. He, he just wants Everything's to engage... Everything's very local to him. He wants to engage in theological debate. He wasn't. He didn't see himself as a revolutionary. No, right? not at all. He wanted to see the church reform. Exactly, from yep. within. Yeah, so he was just starting in his local community in Wittenberg, right? Mm. Wittenberg, Germany. And it, it so happened that what he had done had, you know, started the fire yep. throughout the world. Some key ideas from the 95 Theses I just want to bring up for some people that don't know. Uh, selling of indulgences to finance the building of St. Peter's is wrong. The Pope has no power over purgatory. Boo. Uh, I mean, yay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yay from us, from yeah. the Protestant's <laughs> perspective. You're taking your old Catholic perspective. Uh, buying indulgences gives people a false sense of security and endangers their salvation. Where some of the key points that at least yeah. this article was pulling out. Yeah. So a lot about indulgences, a lot about like the power of the Pope not being as vast as they mm-hmm. seem to say. And 
Yeah. So so at this point, uh, Luther is a rock in the shoe of the Catholic Church. Yeah. But that rock gets uh, uh, more annoying over time. Oh, yeah. And so ultimately the big guns end up coming out, which we'll talk about here in a moment. So we have him excommunicated. Let's get to well, that. Well, let's, let's get to the uh, bull, the papal bull before his excommunion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex- uh, in 1520, that's what, that's October... Exerge Domine. Exerge Domine, which means arise, O Lord, and take up, fight for thy cause. And he, he, he basically says that there is a wild boar loose in your vineyard. Yeah. Speaking of Luther, mm. he used other language to describe Luther as well. One time he said that Luther was just a drunken German who, once he sobered up, would repudiate what he had r- written on the, in the 95 Theses. Um, he did like beer. <laughs> he did like his beer. Um, Amen. So <laughs> ultimately they gave him um, 60 days to recant, right. which he refused to do, and then they... What's that famous saying? Was this when that famous saying came in? No, no, no. We'll get to that here in a little bit. This is a, a this is okay. th- th- we're going to get to that. That's at the Diet of Worms. Yeah, that's Worms. So. Um, Hold and, on, Logan. So Luther's Sorry. books are burned. They burn his books. Yeah. And so Luther, as I mentioned earlier, he has a literal public bonfire himself, and he burns the papal bull, the canon of law. He said, "This is all bull." <laughs> 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 Thank you. Um. And that's what really sets things in motion, which takes us um, to the Diet of Worms, uh, which Luther is summoned to by Charles V. And he's provided safety on the trip, and uh, it's in the spring of 1521. Um, So the Diet of Worms is basically where there's the the face-to-face confrontation with the Catholic Church. It's basically like a court case. Yeah. With all the authorities. And, And Luther was was absolutely uh, stunned. Uh, he thought that he was going to engage in some type of, of theological, theological debate. debate. <laughs> and it was a judicial like, hearing. All right, we're going to debate. And, you know, the Catholic Church was like, you were going to recant this, right? <laughs> what was the Pope's name that was the main representative? Uh, not, you're not Leo? Pope. Was that? Leo? No, the main rep- main representative at Worms. The Cardinal? For the, ca- the Cardinal's oh. name. Uh, check the Googles, will you? Put, uh, man, that's going to bug me. Anyways. You're right. He, Luther's like, we're going to debate these things. And the Catholic Church is like, no, this is a <laughs> trial. And, and, you know, Luther, with all of his bombastic bravado, uh, on the way to the Diet of Worms, they asked him, so what are you going to say? Mm-hmm. And he started making all these uh, bold assertions. He said, previously, I said that the Pope was the vicar of Christ. Yeah. Now I am going to tell him that he is the adversary of Christ. And later he would say the Antichrist himself. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's that's the buildup. We need to understand how this this buildup is happening. So over time, Luther's heart toward Rome gets gets harder and harder and harder and harder. Yeah. And we we see his desire for reformation turn into revolution. Yes. Yeah. That's good. That's a fair way to say it. I think this is saying the Emperor Charles V. He was. It was a specific card. There was all kinds of political yeah. leaders there, mm-hmm. uh, theological leaders, and um, and Hollywood would have you believe that when Luther got there and he stood before these leaders, popes and councils and 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 bishops, um, that he would that he would come out f- guns a blazing. Mm-hmm. And when they asked him to recant, he he said, me- yeah, remember the mass. It. Remember the mass. Yeah. He kind of. Oh, 
he kind of froze up a little bit and he he kind of mumbled himself nobody could really hear him and um i'm convinced he didn't know what was going to happen right he was so stunned. It's almost like he got uh, blindsided he he just he was caught uh he like i said expecting theological debate and all of a sudden he's he's like on trial here yeah, right and and he ultimately says to them can i have 24 hours mm-hmm. can i have 24 hours the movie luther covered that it did, it did. can i have 24 hours and so they send him they send him to his cell right to think about it you know he wants to think about it. so maybe he there's still the doubts there's still the struggle but the wild boar turned into a whimpering pump pup whimpering pup on the first night there but in my mind one of the most phenomenal prayers ever prayed this was luther's private gethsemane in the cell that night as he's crying out to god listen to this prayer and i I think this is important to to hear this man as he cries out to god um as he's as he's given another 24 hours he says oh god almighty god everlasting how dreadful is the world behold how its mouth opens up to swallow me and how small is my faith in thee oh the weakness of the flesh and the power of satan if i am to depend upon any strength in this world all is over Hmm. the knell is struck sentence is gone forth oh god oh god oh thou my god help me against all the wisdom of this world do this i beseech thee thou shouldest do this by thine own mighty power. The work is not mine, but thine. It goes on later on. He says, my God, my God, dost thou not hear? My God, art thou no longer living? Nay, thou canst not die. Thou dost but hide thyself. Thou hast chosen for me this work. I know it. Therefore, O God, accomplish thine own will. Forsake me not. For the sake of thy well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, my defense, my buckler, and my stronghold. And the prayer goes on. You just hear a mighty fortress. There you go. That's the inspiration right there in that cell that night. And so he's called out <clears throat> the very next day. And they again ask him, do you recant all of these writings, these works? And... We have the famous line. Yeah, this this is the, the Hollywood version. He's, it's almost like for me, this is the one of the biggest moments in Martin Luther's life. Maybe even more, it's significant than the ninety-five theses. Absolutely. The reason why I say that is like the ninety-five theses was was meant to be even in that setting. It was meant to Luther wanted to debate these points mm. at his local university. It was never meant to get to Rome. Right. Right. It was like, hey. We're, we're an academic institution, right, guys? Can we talk about these things? <laughs> All right. You know, knock, knock, knock. But you, you get the worms, worms, and he's he's being directly confronted, like I said earlier, by one of the most powerful institutions in the world. And, and specifically it, confronted by Ulrich van Pepperheim and his herald, Caspar Stern. So... You had me look it up. I had yeah. to insert it. <laughs> so... So it takes even it takes a, an immense amount of courage in order to say what he's what you're what you're about to say. Go ahead. Well, the famous words, yeah. um, it, you know, and he says, "Unless I am persuaded by Scripture, 
and by my and by my conscience. I'm just I'm kind of I'm not saying it word for word. But I have it pulled up if you want. You read it. All right. Um, he says, unless I'm convinced by testimony of the scripture or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or the councils alone, since it is well known that they have erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. So let me say something about that particular statement because he's not full on anti-Catholic yet. Correct. He's he's saying I'm looking at Holy Scripture and and Scripture. The, let me say back up. The the Pope and the councils alone are not determinative on these matters, and there's been too many inconsistencies for me to accept you what know, they say. What they say. But here I have Holy Scripture, which we ha- we have an inkling of sola scriptura, one of the one of the five solas, one of the most important uh, fundamental doctrines of the Reformation, which we all would hold to sola scriptura. And so this would be the beginning of, of Luther eventually pulling away even more and more away from the first the Pope. So at this point he's he's kind of throwing an olive leaf to the Pope. Be like, I understand your authority, but you alone don't have that authority. And eventually he would, like we said earlier. You're the Antichrist, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's that's pretty bold, man. It's, it's pretty bold, <laughs> Cotton. And and then eventually, and not at this point, but eventually he would he would say the councils were not um, completely authoritative, right? Mm. And so we go to God's word. And so he he eventually gets to full on. He's not there yet, but eventually he gets to full on sola scriptura, scripture alone. Period. No qualification. And that's the famous line. Here I stand. Um, I can do no other. I can do no other. And so uh, he he gets safe passage out of there. I, I you know. I think he was snuck out. Wasn't he? Yeah. So, yeah. and they after that that that's when he is actually excommunicated. The imperial edict in May of 1521, yep. and he becomes an outlaw <clears throat> for the rest of his life. And uh, Frederick hides Luther at the Wartburg Castle in 1521. Yep. Did he not translate the Bible into German? Yes, German. Time? Yep. Yep. So, so we have the uh, Exerge Domine. Now, you get hands raised. Yeah. And I'll get there in a second. Uh, which, I was in 1520, which was the, hey, you need to repent. And then he's formally excommunicated from the church in May of 1521. After things didn't go, you know, as planned <laughs> at nope. the Diet of Worms. And so, deuces. Here's, here's your formal excommunication paper, Logan. Would you say that if he would have recanted here, the Reformation probably wouldn't have happened? It would not have happened the way that we read about it in the history books. I, I do think there was so much going on throughout Western civilization that something was going to happen, right? Uh, so if it wasn't Luther who was going to bring the straw and the match and the gasoline, someone <laughs> else was going to pick it up and be like, uh, we didn't start. We did start the fire, <laughs> mm. right? Uh, so that, I mean, we're, we're all just like looking back and kind of sure. like, you know, what if, what if, what if. But I, I think there was just too much going on. There's too much corruption, one, in the Catholic Church. Sure. And then here's the, here's the other thing I wanted to mention about a historical uh, fact that is actually really essential. Uh, in the 15th century, we have the development of the Gutenberg Press. Oh, yeah. And so all of a sudden, books which were contained to universities and libraries or the elite, the, uh, the aristocrats, right? were now being more made more accessible in pamphlet form. Mm-hmm. And it was Luther and others like Calvin 
uh, who who really leveraged the printing press. Mm-hmm. So so in the town of Wittenberg, Luther had an agreement. I actually read a book entirely focused on uh, Luther's um, how how Luther leveraged the printing press to get his resources to get his documents all across Europe. And and that in many respects was just as significant as all these other events that we've been talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. That development. And now now common common, you know, Logan over here is like, Oh, I, I got this document I can read by this guy named Martin Luther and you're living in Switzerland. Right. He's in Germany or whatever. That that's massive. Yeah. Yeah. The analogy today <clears throat> is like social media. I I've talked oh, to the people internet and then social I've talked media, to people yeah. who've listened who were converted under ministries like Piper who live in other countries who are not as advanced as we are. Sure. But they have access to, you know, the internet and, and they get exposed to these things. Also to things like TBN and <laughs> for five dollars you hey. can get this handkerchief that hey. I blessed. Hey. That's which is another form of Protestant indulgences, by the yeah, way. Yeah, we talked about that the, at the last thing with the modern day television yeah, televangelist yeah. that says we send your money. Sow the seeds <laughs> of faith. Yeah. I got I got I got words for that. Anyway, we need to move on. The Tower Experience. So we have uh, Luther. Luther's at. Uh, so he returns Warburg. to Wittenberg, and yep. so I want to go Warburg back. Wittenberg. I want to go back to and so, spend so, a little time here on on his conversion. So he's he's in Wartburg, which isn't far from Wittenberg, and his buddies, chiefly Philip Melanchthon, is kind of like keeping him abreast. If I understand my history correct, about what's going on and when when's a good time to kind of come out of the castle and yeah. back to work. So we're kind of, when I say the Tower experience, I believe that Luther was in fact converted before the Diet of Worms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I believe, that you, you, you don't pray that prayer if you're yeah, that, right. the way. Um, I believe he's converted and I believe it, it happened somewhere between 1518 to 1521. That's, I mean, nobody knows for sure. And, and ultimately what matters is that he was converted, yeah. ultimately. And, and think of it like this. You know, the Lord saved me in my early 20s, but did I know, because we're going to talk about the jock doctrine of justification here in a moment, did I understand the doctrine of justification like I understand it today? I, no. <laughs> what, what what did justification mean theologically? I mean, hopefully you have even a better understanding of justification 10 years from now still. Yeah, exactly. My, so my point is is that we you can't see it in a vacuum. you got to see it. Um, within its time and space mm. and understand as Luther's figuring these things out, uh, he's growing in his knowledge of God and understanding of Scripture as well. So I, I think you're right. I place his conversion earlier than most people in light of the fruit. That Got it. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, I respect that. Yeah. I, I don't know. We, but I, don't what know. I do know, and we'll get into it here, is his testimony of how yeah. the gates of paradise open wide. But read Romans 1. 17 Logan 16, because go 16 and 17. 16 and 17 because this is where Luther is as as he would say beating the Bible with importunity he is struggling here and Luther before you read that he, he this is before his conversion he's teaching the book of Romans at the University of Witten, of Wittenberg and um, I keep dropping my notes you're so um, excited um <laughs> I'm I'm so old school. We talk about the printing press, and the, and I'm still using it. Um, he hated the concept of the righteousness of God, mm-hmm. and think about it. Luther was trained in to be in law, and so he used that that meticulous mind regarding the law, and he 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 saw the law of God in its totality, 
and he compared his own life with the law of God, and he could not stand the results. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, it's easy to grade on a curve with other people, but when you start comparing yourself to to the, the very holy law of God, to, to, to this righteous God, and, and Luther... He couldn't stand the results, and so he struggled with the righteousness of God. In fact, he sometimes hated the right, the idea of the righteousness of God. So go ahead and read that. Uh, Romans 1, verse 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Game changer. That's the one. The righteous shall live by faith. That's what. That's the one. Because, because as you've heard, like in our previous podcast, it's like he is because everyone is logging him. Everyone, everyone listening listened. to this has listened to that first podcast. Absolutely, right. and they gave it five stars. Yes. <laughs> but like he's going so far as to go to the confessional for hours, flogging himself, yeah. like <laughs> trying to live a faith of works mm-hmm. not one that is true faith and it would be this particular doctrine the doctrine of justification by faith by faith in which becomes one of the chief cornerstones of the reformation yep. yeah you think of a you think of a passage like uh, philippians chapter 3 you know paul talks about his time as a pharisee mm-hmm. you know luke was a monk of monks Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he, and this is what Luther discovers, um, and I'll elaborate on that. He says, Paul writes, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Now watch this, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, faith, a righteousness that God gives to us. And suddenly, the righteousness of God that Luther once hated mm-hmm. became yes. the, the doorway to paradise mm-hmm. for him. In fact, he, the concept burst upon his mind for the very first time. That our justification, our standing before God, is not based upon our naked righteousness. Because that will always fall short. We always miss the mark. But it is the righteousness of Christ that we obtain by trusting faith. Mm-hmm. And so he grasped this for the very first time. And he felt himself to be reborn, having gone through the, the open doors into paradise. And so the scriptures would take on a new meaning of him, and he right. would love the righteousness of God. He would love the justice of God. So I want to put a plug in. We did a podcast on justification a while back. So if you're listening and you're kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. you just, you just, you, did you just shoehorn in justification here and not even explain what it means? I would just say, hey, go find, you know, Google, not, don't Google, go to our, go to cornfieldtheology.com, go to the search bar, put in justification. You can listen to that podcast, and hopefully that's, uh, that serves you in terms of understanding more fully you know what what uh, what Martin Luther all of a sudden discovered from mm. holy scripture specifically Romans which is interesting cuz he had taught on Romans what 4 or 5 years prior at 1517 right around there and now we're at 1521 and he's cut 1521 22 he's coming back to Romans 
and he's having his waha moment. Yeah. First time three, he's like, oh, I wonder what that means. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, and that's a lesson for us all. Like, oh, absolutely. How many times do we go back to scripture? I mean, I'm slowly walking through. When I say slowly, I mean, I'm going really slow through the book of Exodus because I'm, I'm hoping to teach on it in the future at Redemption Hill. And uh, I, I'm seeing things where I'm like, I mean, how many times have I read Exodus? Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow. Woo. Oh, baby. So we keep learning and learning and learning. So justification is really important. Now I think it's probably good to get to the latter years. Well, before we get to the latter years, is there anything else you want to add? Because the latter years is going to kind of be the dis- this, the descending part of this podcast. Is there anything else you want to say about Luther or Luther's life or his his uh, contribution? Well, that's where we probably want to land the plane on is looking at his... Obviously, we're talking about justification by faith, which is... His, his biggest contribution, in fact, right. he called it the article on which the church stands, stands falls. or falls. Yeah. I, I'm reminded of a quote by Henry Smith regarding that. I always come back to this. He says, he, he, God hides our unrighteousness, Christ hides our unrighteousness with his righteousness. He covers our disobedience with his obedience. Mm-hmm. He shadows our death with his death that the wrath of God cannot find us. And so the wrath of God, the hound of heaven that Luther struggled with, is is resolved through the cross work of Christ. That was big in Luther's theology, the cross of Christ. And so um, where we want to land the plane, how many minutes do you think we have? Well, let's give us about maybe five more minutes. Okay, so let's land the plane on some of Luther's um, contributions theologically and yeah. his legacy. Before, before we do that, I do want to know, he was ultimately married to Katharina. Yep. Um, Katharina von Barr. She, they were married, which I found yeah. out last a couple days ago. They were married on June 13th. That's the same day that Darla and I were married, hey, 36 go. years sure ago. Um, but he had six kids. He lost one kid. And even in the midst of all of that, he, he preached. Um, in 1522, Sean, listen to this. He preached 177 times. In 1523, 137 times. 1528, mm. 200 times. Can you wow. imagine that schedule? I actually did the math. He contributed 60,000 pages of material. Yeah, it's, it's massive. Why are you slacking? Because <laughs> <laughs> I did the math because uh, Dean mentioned, I think, either in this podcast or the previous one that he did 3,000 sermons. Yeah. And if you did that over like one sermon every week, that's uh, it's like 57, almost three sermons a 57 week? years is what it would take. I but just, he, hey, man, it was I, shorter than that. I'm just trying to be steady. You know what all. he said? You know what Luther said about <laughs> preaching? He said, I would not trade the office of preaching to be a king or emperor. Mm-hmm. In fact, he said, I want to preach so that... That you are and now, glorified. And now we're here a, a seasoned Luther, right? One who's run the race, and he he kn- he knows what those other things offer, and he knows the importance of the gospel and that needing to be preached. Yeah, he, he came to the point where you mentioned the evolution of his life in the sense of his defiance to Rome. Once the, jo- the, the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone, mm-hmm. became everything to him— he was willing to, to die for that, that truth, and he defied everything. He was not going to negotiate that right. doctrine. And so from, from a, a person like Martin Luther, a, a, an additional movement began, which was what we know as Lutheranism, right? The Lutheran Church. Other great documents such as what the Augsburg Confession, right? Um, a beautiful document. Uh, frankly, the Lutheran Church specifically— um, It's the, Catholic light. Well, <laughs> the ELCA, I'm not even Catholic light, it's, it's 
liberal Protestantism. Oh, at this point, yeah. Yeah, at this point, they would they they would you know they would walk into the doors of you know Lutheran churches today and not know what they're looking at. So a lot has changed. Luther would walk into many Lutheran churches or, or Protestant churches in general and be like, guys, um, this is what the, a brood of vipers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So it, it is one of those things where I wish Luther were here today. So not only so he I can like see his response, but also be like, hey. You got any advice? Like, do I need to bring the match and the straw and the <laughs> gasoline? And where do I go? <laughs> One of the things I think that's, that's been a great contribution of Luther is his understanding between the relation of, of law and gospel. And that's yeah, how that's Luther... T- yeah. see They see that the whole of Scripture is made up of law, which is imperatives, and then gospel, which is the indicative of what Christ did for us, and, and, and separating them and not confusing them to and so i think that was a great contribution that that luther gave to us his understanding of law and gospel and, and calvin and him were both nuanced on that they had yes, some differences that's right. that's right but they were close yeah they were close where close close to the point where it's like we use the worm word reformed and we think about reformed churches the lutheran church in that sense would not be reformed sure but luther himself was pretty Pretty doggone close. Yeah, here, yeah. Uh, to, to, to how we use that word today. You know, his famous famous phrase, let God be God. Mm-hmm. It seemed to, he, um, it seemed to, it frees us to be human, to not to try to be God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it also frees us to not have to achieve salvation in our own strength, mm-hmm. but to live in the presupposition that, 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 that this work of God's gracious salvation is not the goal of the, the, the Christian life. It's, it is the basis. It is the foundation of the Christian life. That's why the cross was so central uh, to yeah. Martin Luther. And, and that's a good word, probably a great place to land, where, where uh, up, up until that time, you know, 16th century, early 16th century, the cross was being lost in the religious life of the church and the people. Right, and, and, and the church needs to lead out on that. And Luther rightly took the cross and put it front and center Yes, of all things. And so you talk about contributions that Luther had. It was, it was yeah, it was, to, it was to set his gaze and bring others along with him upon the cross of Jesus Christ. And hence, you know, doc, the doctrine of justification. Yeah. You know, it's like that. No, that's good. Uh, listen, I think in the future we need to continue to do these biographical podcasts Sure. And I've really got about five or ten people in mind. Yeah, no, I, I think next we got to do like John Calvin, and then we we need to go across the pond, and we need to do a biographical sketch of someone from the uh, maybe Jonathan Edwards, uh, maybe someone like Billy Graham. Which is it too soon? Wait, technically he's on the. What do you mean by across the pond? Uh, across the Atlantic. Right, but Luther's across the Atlantic. No, they across the Atlantic from Germany to here. America. Oh, oh, America, I dude! Like, I was like, usually, yeah, but usually from the American perspective, we think of Europe as across oh, the sure, pond. Sure. Well, yeah, so I was like, it was like we've been across the pond, my guy. Been, where have you been, man? What do you want? We could do John Edwards, Billy Graham, yeah, um, R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul, oh, that's a great one. All right, so if you're George list- Whitfield, George Whitfield, although he was uh, British, and he yeah, but he, he came made, over here. He made his tours over yeah, here. Yeah, he came over. He was instrumental in that first Great Absolutely. Awakening. Absolutely, um, the Great Awakening. I mean, we talk all about that. Well, him and Edwards, yeah. So if you're listening, you're like, hey, could you do a biographical sketch of this particular guy? Feel free to send an email. Or gal. We won't discriminate. Yeah, send an email to info at redemptionhilldsm.org. I'll get that email, and we'll, we'll take into consideration. 
uh, that that email address hopefully it's on the website as well but it's mm. info at redemptionhilldsm.org Logan, Logan what's all the places they can check us out at cornfieldtheology.com should be your primary and you go to the bottom of that page you can sign up for emails yep that should be your primary that otherwise was- you can find us on YouTube yep Apple Podcasts. I'm still going to root for Amazon, uh, Go Amazon Music Podcast. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Amazon Podcast. Spotify. Thank you to people. I yeah. see you. Yeah, I see you. <laughs> he sees me. I see you. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, as Logan says, give us five stars. It helps with the algorithm thingy that I have no idea about. Yeah. And all financial donations go to Logan. Hey, why does it go to him? We got to get him a haircut. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he needs a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been able to afford a haircut for three months, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll end on that. God bless. Take care. Bye. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.